Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And I invite you to open your ears and open your minds to the word of God. This is what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all to made to drink of one spirit. Now, indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we pray that you would fill this place with the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears, and our minds and our hearts to be receptive to your word and to what it means to our lives and how to implement that in our everyday comings and goings. We pray this in your precious Son's name. Amen. So I was thumbing through the hymnal, and I come across one of these, right? How many of you were here when Caroline did her sermon and we had the hearts? Um, It is amazing to me that we are still finding these hearts. A sign of love, a sign of communion, and a sign of community. It is a year later almost, yeah. That tells me that y'all aren't looking enough. (laughs) Just saying. Now, today is World Communion Sunday, and I asked both of my children in preparing for this sermon to tell me what they thought World Communion Sunday meant. And between the two of them, what they came up with was that today is the day that everybody in the world takes communion. Okay. So here's where World Communion Sunday actually comes from. It was first called Worldwide Communion Sunday back in 1933, and it was founded in a Presbyterian church in uh, Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania by Reverend Kirk. Now, Reverend Kerr and his congregation sought a way to symbolize the interconnectedness of Christ's body, the church, regardless of the denomination. 
and Reverend Kerr wisely landed on Holy Communion. Now, the term Holy Communion, it invites us to focus on the holiness of the communion that we have between God and ourselves. So I started thinking about the word communion, thinking about its origin, right, what it means. So I looked it up. The word communion comes from the Latin word communis, which means togetherness, mutual participation, or sharing. And while I was preparing for this sermon, I kept thinking of another word that sounds just like communion, and that's community. So I looked it up. And guess what I found? It has the same Latin root word, communis. So community and communion come from the same place, the same origin. Even though it's two separate words, we do interchange them a lot and use them together a lot. No wonder since they came from the same place. But another word came to mind when I was preparing for my sermon, and that's the word table. Now, I'm not going to give you a history lesson or an origin lesson on the word table. What I want to talk about, though, is this table. I want to give you some thoughts on our communion table. When we gather together here in this place to take communion at this table, we are very quick to make sure that everyone knows that this is not my table. This is not Josh's table. It's not Valerie's table. It's not Kitty's table. This is not the United Methodist table. This is God's table. And as such, all are welcome at God's table. For me, that's a very comforting thought. And when I told Pastor Valerie what I was going to be preaching on, and I said the word tables, she immediately, ears perked up, looked at me and said, you know, we could teach or preach an entire sermon series on tables, right? How many different tables do we have? What do they mean? What do we do at them? And she's right, we could. Just a quick survey. Play along with me if you would. If you have a coffee table in your home, would you raise your hand? Wonderful. If you have an end table in your room, raise your hand. A side table, a breakfast table, a dinner table. There you go. Some people call it dinner. Some people call it supper. In my house, it's a dinner table. And this is where we gather at the dinner table. Now, I imagine that the dinner table is probably the table that gets utilized the most. Unless you're in my house. It's the breakfast table because it's the catch-all, right? That's where all the papers get taken out of the book bags and stuff, out of my pockets and the junk mail and the bills until it builds up. But the dining room table, that's where we gather. That's where we break bread together. That's where we're in fellowship and community together. So we normally invite people over for dinner. Well, I say normally. It's actually on occasion. But we... We have people over for dinner, and I'm sure you guys have done the same thing. When we have people over for dinner, we pull the tables around the dining room table or the chairs around the dining room table. We set the table, make sure that everything's right where it's supposed to be. But the problem is, is that our dining room table only seats six, right? Well, there's four in my family. So whenever we invite people over, typically we're having to bring chairs in from the breakfast room, right, and put them around the table to make room which is very cozy. Then it happens. The doorbell rings. Somebody brought a guest. Now, I say that. It's actually my fault because usually I forget how many people we've invited, right? I forget who's actually coming over. I forget a lot of things. Um, 
But the voice in my head speaks out right away, right away. Oh, man. Now I got to go out to the garage. I got to get that folding table. I got to get the four folding chairs. It's going to be buried in the garage because that's how my garage works. Mysteriously, everything gets thrown into my garage. I got to pull it out. I got to dust it off. I got to clean it off. I got to set it up, bring it inside, put it in the living room. And my wife looks at me and she goes, no, we are not making our guests sit in the living room at a separate table. You're going to bring those chairs into the dining room and we're going to make it work. I don't agree. I don't like that. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm a creature of comfort. I like my space. I don't want to be sitting on top of each other. I want room for my elbows, right? So being the man of the house, I put my foot down. And I take the table to the garage and I drag the chairs into the dining room just like I was told. And I set it up for them to come in. So here's the thing. It makes me uncomfortable. Still does. To not have my own little space. But I'm going to say something. I want all of you to hear it. And she's present, so she's going to gloat later. My wife was right. You heard me say it, gentlemen. My wife is right. You see, the very table where we gather in communion and community with each other in our house, where we break bread, should that not be the same place that our guests are supposed to sit with us in community and fellowship? See, my wife understands that. I'm beginning to. I'm beginning to. Now, I think about my childhood, and I go back to memories of the dining room table with my childhood. Now, I'll be the first to tell you we didn't have much growing up. Um, I do remember a time when, you know, we got our government block of cheese, our powdered milk, canned goods, that sort of thing. Um, We would be considered poor by today's standards. But my mom was really good at making a meal out of whatever we had. She had this thing she made called seven soup casserole. Now, this is a bunch of noodles, some meat, and seven soups, usually cream ofs. You know what I'm talking about? Cream of mushroom, cream of chicken, yeah. You throw it all together, you boil it. It was actually pretty good. Um, But there was one meal, one meal, that even right now holds such a vivid memory that I can almost smell and taste it. And as soon as I say this, my wife is going to cringe, but it's milk toast. Now, for those of you who don't know what milk toast is, it is heaven in a bowl. You take milk and butter and a whole bunch of sugar and vanilla extract and you put it in a pot. And was that all the ingredients? Yeah? Okay. And you boil it. Okay, you bring it to a boil and then you bring it down to a simmer. Now, in preparation for this meal, what you have to do is you have to take the heels from the loaf of breads that you eat and you freeze them. Okay, when you get enough of them, you take them out, you put them in a toaster and you burn them. Okay? Burn them black as coal. Once you get this concoction boiling, you put the heels that are burnt in the milk. And it soaks it up. And you ladle it into a bowl. I'm telling you, heaven in a bowl. But here's the thing. That meal, that meal, we always ate it at the dining room table. That was not something that we ate anywhere else in the house. We ate it at the dining room table, okay? And I cherish those memories. Now, if you guys are like most families, you're probably pretty busy, right? 
My parents were busy back then. But nowadays, man, life travels at such a quick pace. Think about this. If you have a two-parent household, right now, most times both parents work, do they not? If you have a single-parent household, guarantee you the single parents work in probably two jobs. Take into account the extracurricular activities for the children, right? All the things that they have to do for school, band, soccer, baseball, basketball, volleyball, all these other balls, right? Plus theater, choir, band, orchestra. You see where I'm going with this? Maybe the only time during the week that you have with your family to be in community and communion is at that dinner table. I know oftentimes in our house that's the case. I remember reading books and seeing movies that symbolized and emulated small-town life, or at least what we think of small-town life as being. And here's what I remember. The community would gather. All these families would come together, right? And they'd come together for a meal. And where would they meet? Somebody's house, a field, the church grounds, and they would set all those picnic tables up that I don't know where they got them, right? But they'd set them all up end to end to end to end to end, and they were forever long, forever long. And all the food was piled up on the table, all the plates were in a single line, and everybody ate and supped together. And here's what I remember seeing and feeling. Joy. Happiness. Fulfillment, a sense of community, a sense of communion. They didn't worry about how much room they had. They were just happy being in communion together. Now today, on World Communion Sunday, the United Methodist Congregation joins countless congregations across the globe. Today we're going to celebrate our unity in Christ at this table by taking communion Now, some churches are going to gather in ornate buildings in a very formal fashion. Some churches are going to gather in people's homes, some in tents. Cowboy churches are probably going to gather in a barn, but they're going to gather. When they break bread together, some churches are going to offer little cubes of bread. Some, like ours, will share from a common loaf. Others, little wafers. When the cup is offered, some will drink from a common chalice. Some will dip their bread into the juice or the wine and consume. Other churches will have individual glasses. And as far as what's served in the cup, some churches will serve wine. Some will serve juice. Some are going to offer both. The clergy are going to offer a wide variety of liturgies in an even wider variety of languages. Some of us are going to be dressed in very formal fashion, some casually, some informal. But here's the point. Today, on World Communion Sunday, we are going to gather as one body, one body, one church, universal, to celebrate our unity in communion and community with one another. Our scripture texts that we heard today offer us an example of a couple of different things. 
communion, and community. Our scripture text offers us as an example of how to look at ourselves as the body of Christ. We are not a whole bunch of singular parts. We are a group of parts that make up one large body. One large body. It's the body of Christ. But even bigger than that, it's the body of humanity. We are joined together in one body. My friends, over 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus invited 12 of his best friends to dinner. He didn't worry about how much room he had. He didn't worry about if he had enough space to spread his wings. He invited those 12 friends to be in community with each other and with him. He invited those 12 friends to be in communion with him, with God, and with each other. He didn't care about how big that table was. So the question is, how big is your table? How big is your table? I say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about how big your table is. Go into the garage and grab the four folding chairs. Go to your breakfast room, drag those chairs in. Borrow chairs from your neighbors if you have to. But we can all gather around the dinner table, be in communion with one another, to be in community with one another, just like we do here at this table. My friends, God's table is big enough. It's big enough for everyone. Yours can be too. Amen.